Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you have won the victory. Thank you, Lord, that you have won 100% the victory for every battle in our life. Every battle, big or small, you've won them all. Lord, we just pray this morning as we partake of the mystery of the Holy Communion, as we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus, Father, that you would take that gift that you've given us, the Holy Communion, that you spoke to your disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper, And you spoke to them and you said, do this in remembrance of me. But so much more than remembrance, Lord. You are giving us a gift for eternity. Your blood, your body. You were showing us, Lord, how we could partake by faith in you. And that very day... That very night you were taken to show us that you would give your body and you would give your blood. And we just want to praise you today as we partake of your holy communion. Now one of the things that it says in Corinthians is Paul, I think it was Paul, talks about Uh, taking communion in a worthy manner. He doesn't say, take communion because you're worthy. He doesn't say, you have to be worthy to take communion. Many people mistake that, that we we have to be righteous enough, holy enough, but we can never do that in ourself. It only comes from his righteous body and his righteous blood. So we, when it says take it in a worthy manner, it means take it giving reverence and honor to what he's done. Take it by faith, knowing that when you bite into that cracker and you chew it, it's the body of Jesus. And it's going to give you power for today, power for tomorrow, power for college, power for school, power for work, power for home. It's going to give you forgiveness, cleansing, redemption by the blood of the Lamb. So what we do this morning, what we do as we take communion in a worthy manner is we lift up the King who gave his life for us. And we are going to wait on him. And uh, Phil sent me this song this week, and it's been a rough week for me, uh, new lessons that the Lord is teaching me and bringing me through. <laughs> Don't laugh, Lizzie. We, we got to laugh because otherwise we're going to cry. 
But God, and I'm going to tell you, God is going to bring us through these lessons because he is preparing an army. He is preparing, we read it this morning, an army of restoration. When we go through this land in the name of Jesus, we're not going to rip it down and tear it apart. We're going to build it up by the power of God and his Holy Ghost and his Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus and everything about him. We are going to be an army of restoration. Lives healed. Lives healed. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. The enemy says, oh, they're still sick. There's still cancer. There's still COVID. We come against it in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus. There is power in this supper. There is power in it. Lord, we receive your power this morning as we wait on you. And Joe, if you could get that song ready. We're going to, we'll wait because it would be too hard to hold it. We're going to listen to the song, and I want you to take this time to just meditate on what Jesus has done and to tell him, to agree, we will wait for you, Lord. We will wait for you. Listen, do you know what? (laughs) I got you, Lizzie. This is what we, one thing we read this morning when we were reading about the army of the Lord is that many times we don't wait for his command. We do it. (laughs) We go and do it. We get impatient. We go. We go, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this, that, 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 that. I got to do this because I got to be good enough and I got to be worthy enough and I got to do this and that and this and that and this and that. And the Lord says, wait on me. So we have to learn to listen. We have to learn to wait on him. And then guess what? When he says go, you go as fast as you can. When he says run, he says run and don't look back. Right? He says run the race, don't look back. That's our job. And we're here this morning together as the body of Christ to raise up this body of believers. Okay, what's the scripture? Like we have right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people here. That's an army. Yes, Phil. Say it. Amen. All the time. Amen. So we got a few announcements to make. There's no kids' church today. But we do want to keep Ed lifted up in prayers. Um, He had a little bit of a rough night last night, he said, and uh, we don't know if he's going to come home today. Hopefully he will. He's not coming home today. So hopefully he'll come home tomorrow. We also want to keep him lifted up in your prayers. We also need to lift up Joan. I guess she's not feeling good this morning. 
So we want to pray for Joan. And we also want to pray um, for the Love Church, which is having an outbreak of COVID. And it's because they're calling it, it's the shedding, is what I heard, is what Phil and Ellie told me. It's the people that have the shot of COVID already. They're, they have got their vaccinations, but they have the COVID in them, and I guess it's shedding to others right now. So, we want to pray for that church, that you would protect them. We want to pray that we're protected. I've prayed all the time for this body, for this hill, for each one of you, that you would be in a hedge of protection around God's angel armies, watching over this place, keeping the enemy far from us, and keeping us far from the enemy. It's like the Jabez prayer. Amen? And that God would bless us indeed, that he would provide his personal protection for us, that he would go before us, go behind us, that he would cover us and protect us, that he would keep evil from us and keep us from evil. And Lord, that you would bless us, bless us indeed, I pray. So we want to keep them in our prayers. And we pray for them now, Lord God, to heal them. Do the mighty work that only you can do, Lord God, in this place and in our lives and in your people's lives, Lord God. Um, the other thing is don't forget to check out our church app. Joe's got it up there on the board. Tell your friends about it. They can hear the sermons. You know, we're thinking about getting worship on it pretty soon. We got the YouTube channel. Pretty soon we're going to be doing YouTube things, or we might be doing on a different <laughs> Frank speech or something like that. I got, I'll get it right. So we're praying for that. Keep that lifted up in prayer because we want God's will in everything we do. And we don't mind waiting on the Lord. We've been waiting for an outpouring and a revival for years. <laughs> We've been waiting for God to fill this place for years. So we're waiting patiently, Lord. Help us to keep waiting. Amen? Amen. Um, we also want to pray that their car is healed, fixed, delivered, and set free in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen? For Phil and Ellie. That that thing would be a good car in Jesus' name. we got to speak it into existence. The froster power working perfectly. Amen? All right. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Can you hear me? What do I need to do? Keep it up here? Yes. I am. Come on down, Grace. Always do tithes. God told me that if I didn't do tithes, that that's the one way that God can bless his people. By his people blessing God and that he promised to pour out a blessing upon them. You know, so, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the tithes and offerings that you're bringing in this place, Lord God. Thank you for Joe for reminding me, Lord God, that, Lord, I don't want anybody to be passed up on a blessing because of my disobedience, Lord God, to you. Lord, help us to always be obedient to you and to give cheerfully, Lord God, to give out of our hearts, Lord God, because we know that we can't outgive you and, and, 
And Lord, we know that when we give, that you see it. You know where it goes. You know that our tithes are going into good places, to good things to help people. Lord God, and we just pray this in Jesus' name. We pray that you would bless each person as they give abundantly. Bless their finances. Bring in a supernatural outpouring and a blessing. Bring in that wealth transfer to the church, Lord God. That we can just keep giving and giving and giving and giving to you and to your kingdom, Lord God. And you just keep giving and giving and giving to us. And the more we give, the more you give, Lord God. Help us to get that in our hearts and to believe it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. We want to be a church of givers. You want to be known as a giver. Amen? Amen. All right. Your purse is right here if you'd like your purse. I don't know. Hallelujah. God is good. You know what I'm excited about today? Even though we're small, we're powerful, right? Even though we're small, we're powerful. You know what I'm excited about? Because not only do I get to preach to my family which I preach to enough, and my friends. But like we are getting to grow together. It's not just up here preaching every week. It's up here teaching. It's up here building each other up. You know, and, and one thing nice about having a small church is that you get to know people. And you get to know their needs. And you get to spend time with them. And you get to build relationships with them. And I would encourage all of us to get to know each other. Because everybody has their strengths and everybody has their weaknesses. So when we come together, we're strong and we're powerful in the Lord. Amen? One might be devoted to reading the Word more than the others. Some might be devoted to prayer more than others. Some might be devoted to worship more than others. But when they come together, that's power. And that's unity. Amen? And I would encourage everybody to read the word, to pray, and to worship. And I gotta speak that to myself. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong. I'm no righteous one up here. That's for sure. Saved by grace. Saved by grace. Hallelujah. Covered by the blood. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you know. The title of my sermon is that you must die. You must die to live. You must die to live. And I'm going to share with you a little bit out of a Smith Wigglesworth book that my brother Philip gave me. And or didn't give me, but I borrowed, let's say. I don't know if I'm going to give it back, to be honest with you. But I've got his book. I've been reading it a little bit here and there. And the other, um, so I want to share, I'm going to share a little bit of that, but, but you must die to live. Revival is coming. The price is martyrdom. Martyrdom. You know what martyrdom is? It's dying, isn't it? It's dying for the gospel. Martyrdom is dying. That's a quote. Revival is coming, but the price is martyrdom. That's a quote from Smith Wigglesworth. 
But in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33, I want to read that to you. And then I'm going to preach on it. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to go back. Because there was something in there that the Holy Spirit did this morning in my heart that pricked me. It almost brought me to tears. I hate, you know, I'm a man, so I've got to be careful confessing those things. Because, you know, I want to be a manly man, strong man, John Wayne, you know, Clint Eastwood type of guy. You know what I'm saying? But God works in mysterious ways. Even when the strongest men, God can make them soft as a baby. Bottom. <laughs> now, we're just, now, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip to turn told in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. My heart is troubled, Jesus said. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you give glory to your word, that you would speak through me and use me for your will. And that anything, Lord God, that I say that is not of you would fall away, but anything that's of you, Lord God, would just stick to our hearts and pierce our hearts. And Lord God, I pray that you today would speak to us because Lord God, when you speak to us, it changes us. 
and it's an eternal change. Not a, not a, not a temporal change, but a permanent change. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And that right there, that statement that they made is what's pricked my heart this morning. As I was reading this. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. I sat in my office with almost tears in my eyes. Thinking, Lord, Lord, I would like to see Jesus. Lord, I would like to see Jesus. Wouldn't you like to see Jesus? I mean, we see Jesus through us. But these Galileans, these disciples, these people of that day... Literally saw Jesus just like you're seeing me today. They walked with him. They talked with him. They heard about him. They saw him perform miracles, signs, and wonders. You know, the Greeks back then were known to be an intellectual people, a people of science, and they had to figure things out, you know. They had to be like, give reasons for everything that happened. But these Greeks, they just wanted to see Jesus. And when I read that, I had to pause. Because I knew when I felt like I was going to cry or have tears in my eyes, I knew right then that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Because trust me, that doesn't usually happen. Doesn't usually happen. And every time it does happen, I know it's the Holy Ghost. I can only imagine the feeling of meeting Jesus. I can only imagine it. I mean, and you can only imagine it too. We can only imagine the feeling of literally meeting Jesus face to face. I mean, think about that. The Savior of the world. The God who created the whole universe. Who put all the stars in motion who set the universes and the galaxies into existence, who gave them all their perfect purpose and time. Only God, who created us, our very DNA that can stretch from here to the moon and back, that's how much DNA is in you. Isn't that incredible? You have enough DNA in you that can go to the moon and back. Only a God can do that. Only a God can create a body to heal itself and repair itself and to make sure everything is functioning perfectly and that your mind can tell your heart to keep beating and your feet to move and you don't even think about it. It just happens. 
automatically. Only a God can take your eyesight and your vision that you have out there. And when you look at something that it looks upside down, can turn it and make it look upright. It's amazing. But that same God who created everything in the universe and put it all in motion came down and walked this earth with us and gave his life for us, shed his blood for us. Who are we? Who wants to build a relationship with you? And it's like these Greeks, when they knew, they like, it's like it reminds me of the wise men. They knew the wise men were the only ones that really knew what was happening in that time when Jesus was being born on this earth in a manger. And they set out on a quest and an adventure to find. They said, there's the Savior of the Jews is coming, the God of Israel, the same God who parted the Red Sea, who destroyed all, who brought all the plagues on Egypt and destroyed all of Egypt's army into the Red Sea, who was a pillar of fire, by, uh, by night and a pillar of smoke by day. The same God who, who set up camp on Mount Sinai, who spoke to the Israelites, and when he spoke, the whole mountain shook. That God who's bringing salvation, they knew what was happening. The Jehovah God, the God of the Israels, was bringing salvation to the world. Was going to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. Because they saw his star in the sky and they had to set out on the adventure. Can you imagine the anticipation? The anticipation that they built as they went along the journey talking to each other, these three wise men. What are, what are we going to see? Well, it, it's going to be a baby. It's going to be a miracle. The virgin's going to give birth, is what it says in the prophecies. He's going to be a baby, and he's going to sacrifice. They knew everything that he was going to be. But can you imagine the anticipation and the excitement of just seeing him? Just seeing the Savior of the world right there. I guarantee you, when they saw him, they just sat there and wept and cried because they knew salvation they knew that that was God the creator of everything right there in the flesh as a baby I can only imagine the overwhelming feeling I mean I got an overwhelming feeling reading that just one little statement we want to see Jesus I got an overwhelming feeling just thinking of that. Just, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. All of my spirit, all of my being, all of my heart, all of who I am was longing for that day when I see Jesus. All of who you are is crying out in worship, in some form of worship. Wanting to be with Jesus. Wanting to see Jesus. Wanting to be home with Jesus. Where we belong. I can't help but when I get emotional to thinking about it and seeing it and thinking of it. You know, it takes me back 
to when I was first called. And how I know that that was God who called me. How I know that was God who saved me. When there was nobody around me, I was all alone and I was just down and out. And I was all done with myself. I was at a point down here where I was dead. Living in a life of death. When I died is when God spoke life into me. And ever since then, and I know it was God that spoke life into me, and I can't deny it, but ever since then, my life has changed. And it was an eternal change, a permanent change. That's how you know it was God. That's how I know it was God. You know, I went and listened to my son-in-law's testimony yesterday, Jason's. And how God moved in his own life. And how God called him and how God saved him. And I know in his heart of heart that he cannot deny that it was God that led him up to those things. Because his life changed. He had a permanent change. And it's the same thing I'm sure each one of you know. And have heard God's voice and it's affected you so much in your life that it changed you. You know when you heard God's voice and you were obedient to God's voice and you made the change. And you can't deny it. You can't deny that that was God's hand leading you and protecting you and watching over you. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, we want to see you. You know, I had a brother that came up to me yesterday. And he said to me, he goes, revival is coming. Revival is coming. It's in the air. He can feel it, he said. He can sense it. But true revival costs something. If we want true revival, it costs something. It cost our lives. It cost our lives. We have to die in order for him to reign and live. We have to die. If we want true revival, then we have to die. That's why I said to my wife, you know, this morning when she was back there getting ready for communion and cleaning up, and she said... um, I, don't, I can't remember what it was, but it reminded me. He goes, oh, I've got to die to my, i got to die. <laughs> I can't remember what you said, but I, I said that statement. Oh, I guess I haven't died enough yet. Because in my flesh, my flesh will react in one way. Right? And it realized, oh, I'm still in the flesh. Got a little bit of flesh still in me. I guess I haven't died fully yet. But revival, true revival, costs something. It costs and takes a dying of ourselves. 
As Smith Wigglesworth said, revival is coming. The price is martyrdom. Revival is coming, but the price is martyrdom. He was so in tune to the Holy Spirit when he made that statement, when he said that. Because it's so, so true. It's so, so true. And you look at the church and you think, how is the church even going to, how is the church even going to have revival? You know, some say, well, revival will come when the church is being persecuted. Or martyr, same thing as martyrdom, persecution. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, we need to, we need to learn as a body to give God glory when the going is good. Just as, bad, just as much as giving God glory when the going is bad. You know, a lot of times we wait for when the going is bad that we get on our knees and we pray and we earnestly seek God and we forget so fast and easily when the going is good to get on our knees and pray. Because everything is going good. We don't need God. It's like they said, I heard um, Reinhard Bonnke once say, America doesn't need God, it's got Medicare. It's got Medicaid, you know? It's got everything else to help us and save us. But these people in Africa were so desperate for God that when they read the word, they believed the word in their whole heart and didn't doubt it. And that's why miracle signs and wonders were happening like that because they didn't have all these governmental uh, things to help them out. They didn't have the government to help them with health care. They didn't have the government to help them with their everything else. That they needed. And we are also relying on it. All of us. It's crazy. You know, that's why I think when Jesus said we have to become like little children. Because little children, when your parents tell them something, they, they believe it in their heart and they don't doubt it. They believe that that's the law when their parents say something. It's the law of the land, right? That's how we got to do when we read the word. When we we have to read the word like little children, we have to believe it. That's why I try to learn, to re- when I read it, to believe it literally. That this is literally what God said. I don't know, I, I guess... For myself, I read it like that because I know when I grew up, I was pretty poor. I was pretty poor in my family. We were pretty poor. You know, and if you wanted something, you worked for it and you earned it the hard way. And it's when we realize that when we long to see Jesus like those Greeks... When we desire in our hearts that nothing is going to get in our way anymore. When nothing else is going to get in our way anymore. When nothing else is going to be a substitution for Jesus anymore. You know, the word word says we're coming into some perilous times in these end days. Things are going to be changed. This earth is going to be changed. Things are going to be gone. We might not have houses to live in. Who knows? We're, you know, it says we're going to get persecuted. There's going to be famines, earthquakes in various places, wars and rumors of wars. 
Well, they're going on. When you see Israel surrounded by their enemies, it says in the word, well, this stuff is happening. You know, look up. In Luke it says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. When all these things start happening, which they're happening right now in our day, And when we start relying more and more on God for our daily needs, all of us, you know, when we can't maybe not be able to drive a car, when we're praying for a gallon of milk or a cup of water because there's no electricity and all the water pumps are out, and you can't draw water from your well, you know, maybe we're going to be on our knees more earnestly. Seeking God. Longing. That that's when revival is going to break out. But it's sad because it doesn't have to be that way. We should be chasing after God with all our heart. All our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Right now, today. Every day. We should be. And we don't. I know I don't like I should be. I just, you know, I don't. Because I have, I have things that I've relied on in my own self, in my own strength, in my own business to provide. Well, I know that God is Jehovah Jireh. But what if my business is gone? Then I better know that God is Jehovah Jireh, right? Because now I don't have a business and I can't provide for my family or for, you know, the employees. What happens when all that stuff is gone? And the government wants to come and take your house because you can't pay your bills anymore. Or your house is paid, but you can't pay your taxes. What happens then? It's really not your house. When they come and take it after, if you don't pay it within three years, they come and take it and evict you out of your own place. Now, what kind of system is that? It's terrible, but it happens. And it happens to a lot of people. And it's sad. Revival is coming, but the price is martyrdom. John 12, verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many, 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 many seeds. Have you ever seen one little seed <clears throat> some of the smallest seeds I ever planted in my whole life in our garden up there is with carrot seed. A carrot seed is so small. I mean, you got to wear two sets of bifocals to find this thing in a micro, in a microscope almost. 
And we know, because you know, some of us up there planted some of them, carrot seeds, some of them really small seeds in our garden. But you, you, have, you just try to plant one. It's impossible. Unless you have something to separate the seeds of a carrot seed, it's impossible. It's impossible to put just one in a little hole and then space it properly and put one in the other hole. I've learned that when you plant them, you end up dropping two or three in there, and then you got to go back and you got to thin them out a little bit. So you got to pull up some of them other seeds. But that one little bitty seed, and I, and I, I use the carrot seed because I'm familiar with it, it's so small, it's like the size of a pinhead, right? Literally, it's, it's probably smaller than a pinhead. So stinking small, but yet... That one little seed, when that thing grows and that carrot grows and matures, there's like hundreds of seeds on the top if you were to let it go. It's amazing. But that one little bitty dinky seed can produce hundreds if not thousands of seeds because I've never taken the time to count how many seeds are on a carrot. And if I did, I'd probably still be counting today. But Jesus say, gave us that example about the mustard seed. It's so small, but yet produces such a big crop and more. And from that one seed, you can plant thousands more. But that's like us. <clears throat> In order for us to really mature, we really have to die. In order for us to live, we have to die. Like that seed. In order for us... To be fully used to the fullness of God, what God has for us, we have to die. And we have to let God come in and start that new life and that change. And you know what? Nobody else can do this but only God. Because everything else will be temporal. The world tries, you know, you try killing, you know, you're killing myself every day working. You know, that's the world's way. Go out, pull up your bootstraps, get out there and work your hardest. Killing yourself working, literally we're killing ourselves working. When all we got to do to die in the Lord is submit and yield to him. And then God will come in and step in and reign and rule. And he will grow you in ways that only God knows. In the ways that we should be growing. We are that single seed. And we must die to produce many seeds. In order for a plant to spring forth, a seed must die. In order for you to live fully in the kingdom of God... You must die. In order for God to move in, you must move out. And I believe my brother was right. Revival is coming because God is speaking to his people. And people's eyes and their ears are being opened up and they're hearing and their hearts are receiving it. And they're making changes now. 
And we might not know it because we're in our small little group, but this is happening all throughout the world. Revival is coming. God's people are getting prepared for it. And we don't know it. We don't know because God is working 24 hours. He never stops working. People are starting to cry out, Oh God, help us. Oh God, we need you. Oh God, we're thirsty for you. Oh God. Oh God. We want to see you. You know, when we started this church, I told my wife that I can't be anybody else but who God called me to be. I can't. I'm not Smith Wigglesworth. I'm not Lester Summerall. I'm not Rod Parsley. I'm not my brother Daryl. I'm not Pastor Tom. And I don't want to be, and sometimes I don't want to read their, some of their books because I don't want it to influence who God wants me to be. Because God wants you to be you. God has a calling on my life that's for me. And sometimes when I read other books, I think, oh, you know, I, I, I'm always very careful about it. Because, like, I know I don't want to be leading on their teachings I mean, or, or leaning on them or wanting to become like them. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be them because I'm not them. I'm Chris. I'm Chris Mix. Just like you are Philip Parsons and you are Ellie. And you are Grace and Stella and Ephraim and Lizzie and Julie and Joe. Each one individually created by God with a purpose and have a calling. Smith Wigglesworth had a calling and he fulfilled his calling. And he had many to say, he has many disciples around him. God used him mightily. And, I, and I, trust me, I love reading Smith Wigglesworth stuff, but I'm not, a, I'm not Smith Wigglesworth. And I don't want to be, I want to be Chris. I want to be me and I want to be used fully by God of who I am. And not who they are, but who I am. I don't want to ride off the coattails of somebody else's ministry. Because I believe God has called us all into ministry. And I believe God, when we're, called, when we're all called into ministry, He will grow and use you in your strengths. Amen? But I was reading this, and I have to share it with you because I can't say it any better than what Brother Smith Wigglesworth said. <clears throat> An outpouring. The early and the latter rain appears. The early rain is to make the seed die, to come to an end, ashes. And out of the ashes, the great fire of consummation that shall burn in the heart of the people the word of the living God producing the Christ by the breath of the spirit ashes then the latter rain appears and a surging of life the old is finished 
Now shall come forth on those that know the Father a surging life. And the effects of the latter rain and universal outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. Has he come? As a question mark. When he comes, he will convict the world, convincing men of sin. Has he come? A question mark. Of judgment, the prince of this world has been judged. If I go, I will send him unto you. Has he come? Has he come? God awaits to move and shake all that can be shaken. And I believe this is what God has given Smith Wigglesworth. This is like a prophecy of this coming revival. Because God loved Smith Wigglesworth. He was obedient to him and obedient to his word. So he opened up his eyes to these, this coming latter rain, which we are in the latter rain. But God is shaking right now all that can be shaken. You know, have you ever seen a flower shifter? You know, tin and you, my grandmother used to have one, and when she baked, I would always sift the flour for her. I always get flour everywhere. But that's what God is doing, and he's gonna, he starts doing it in his church. Just think of it. He puts everybody in the church into this big sifter, and he sifts them out. Sifts out all the good, and all the big clumpy things get thrown away. But he sifts them out. Sifts them out. They do that with a threshing floor. When they thrash wheat, they separate the wheat from the shaft. Same type of process. But I believe that's what God is doing right now. Getting rid of the bad apples. The imitators of Jesus, or not imitators, the... You know what I mean. Come on, man. <laughs> He's getting rid of everybody, the imposers, the imposters, the wolves in sheep clothing. Getting them out of there. And he's building up leaders in the body. And he's building them up. The book, The Call, my wife is reading, she said that there's people that think they're generals, but they're not really generals. Some of them will become generals. Some of them will become officers, and some of them will run away in the end days because they're afraid, because they haven't been built, they haven't been taught how to fight. And I'm telling you, the enemy's alive, and he's well, and he's out there causing havoc in everybody's life. And if you don't know how to fight him, then you're going to run away from him. We don't fight our enemy with like that, first of all, our enemies and our flesh and blood, it's powers, principalities, and high places. We don't fight with the same weapons the world fights with. Our weapons are mightier and stronger, able to take down strongholds. And our weapons are prayer. Our weapons are the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the buckle of truth, shouting your feet with the gospel, taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, 
Those are our weapons. We fight the enemy on our knees. We fight the enemy with worship and praise. We fight the enemy by the word of God, which is undeniably the strongest powerful force this world has ever seen. Jesus was the word alive in the flesh. And the world is being shaken right now. And what's going to come out of it is a pure and spotless bride. Ready to be taken up. And that's what we got to be ready. That's why we got to be built up and strong and able to stand against this, the wiles of the devil. That's why we come to church every week. So we can get built up. So we can get praised up. We can get prayed up. And then we can go back out there to war and get fight some more. The signs following those that believe in outpouring, mighty and glorious, the early rain has been to get us ready for that which is to come. Be killed. Be prepared. A vessel to pour out torrents. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the death of the seed. The Holy Ghost wakes up every passion, permits every trial. His object is to make the vessel pure. Did you hear that? All those trials, everything that we're going through is to make you pure. To make the vessel pure. You're his vessel. All must die before manifestation of God. Unthought of. Undreamt of. It's a call to martyrdom. To the death of the spirit, soul, and body. To the death. The choice is before you. Decide. Accept the path for death. To be life. Absolute abandonment for divine equipment. For the early and the latter rain appears. Isaiah 11 is God equipment for the understanding of the worldwide purpose of God. For the loveliness of Jesus and the glory of God. Revelation to a perishing world. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Wake up. The air is full of revival. But we look for a mighty outpouring. Shaking all that can be shaken. Take all. But give me vision and revelation of the purpose of God and a wonderful burning love. It is difficult to tell of the freedom of the Holy Ghost and revealing the love of Jesus. A fulcrum. And David spoke the song and said, My cry, my cry did hear enter his ears. Oh yes, it must come. This surging life. See, that's what's in you. You have a surging desire for life that's in you, that's burning, that's wanting to get out. To serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's burning in you. It's surging. It's in each one of us that have Jesus in us. This uttermost death for uttermost life, this early, the latter rain appears. We count those happy that endure. 
Count it not strange, beloved, for the fiery breath of revival is coming. There is a ripple, a ripple on the lake, a murmur in the air. The price is tremendous. It's martyrdom. We must seal the testimony with our blood. There must be the outward cross, dying, searching, crucifixions. No resistance. Trust me, it is finished. Yes, be sworn first. Then comes the revelation of God with eternal issues for multitudes. The latter rain appears. All moves before the men of God has moved. And millions are ingathered at the heart of God. Since thou art come to the holy room with which the choirs of saints forevermore, thou art made my music, thine the instrument here at the door. And what thou must do when think here before. Amen. That was Smith Wigglesworth. In order for revival to come, we must die. We must die of ourselves. It's not easy to die of yourselves when you have the whole world around you calling you, enticing you, tempting you, pulling you here, pulling you there. And you're growing up and you're like, I got to make a name for myself. I got to do this. I got to do that. When God says, no, wait. Just like we heard, wait. God says, no, wait. Wait for me. Wait for me. Wait on me. Wait on me. Follow me. Yield to me. Yield to my will. Be an empty vessel for me. And I'll use you in ways greater than you can imagine. Greater than we can imagine. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, and I praise you for this day. Lord, I praise you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that it speaks to our hearts. I pray for your people. That, Lord God, you would bless each one of them. Lord God, as they go out today, Lord God, I pray that they're supercharged to fight. Supercharged to fight that they're warriors in the kingdom of God, mighty, strong, strong in the faith, strong in the word. Lord God, I pray. Help us to recognize the tactics of the enemies. Help us to scout them out when he's trying to tear us apart and destroy us and kill us. Help him to throw his plans, to thwart them, Lord God, I pray. And I pray, Father, for you to bless each one of us, encourage us, speak to us, Lord. Lord, we want to see you. Lord, we want to see you, Jesus. Give us the burning desire to see you like the wise men, like the Greeks. Lord, I pray this, Lord God, over your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.